Welcome to session 10, our final session in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Today we'll be discussing chapter 4, verses 2 through 18, where we'll see Paul's final thoughts as he closes out his letter. Now, I have to admit that I never thought I'd see the day when letter writing would become a thing of the past. I mean, I can remember a time in my life when I was extremely committed to letter writing. My husband Greg and I became engaged while we were both in college, and when summertime rolled around, we had to go home to separate cities. Now, I know I'm dating myself here, but that was before the age of instantaneous communication, so all we could do was call each other on a landline phone, which was long distance, meaning it was expensive, so we didn't do that very often. We resorted to writing letters, and it was really hard. I mean, I can remember how carefully I thought about each word that I put in my letter and how he would respond when he received it. I anticipated going to the mailbox and seeing a letter from him there, and how much I treasured it and read it over and over again. Letters were important to us at that time because that was practically the only communication we had. Well, back in the first century, letter writing was the only communication that Paul had with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, Paul's in prison in Rome, and so he can't see them face to face. And so these final thoughts that he includes in this letter are significant, and they're very important. So let's read them. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18 in the CSB. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all, in, all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that we, he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin, concerning you, whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord, so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So, of course, Paul ends the letter just as he began the letter, talking about prayer. Because Paul knows that prayer is as vital to our spiritual health as breathing is to our physical health. So he says in verse 2 and 3, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving, and at the same time pray also for us, that God may open a door for us for the word. So we should devote ourselves to prayer. Think for a minute about things that you're devoted to, family, friends, job. We're devoted to things that we care about, 
and we make these things a continual part of our lives, and that's what devote means in the Greek, to persist in. As Christians, we must make prayer a top priority. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray continuously. It should be second nature to us, and we should be alert and thankful in our prayers, the verse says. Our prayers should be meaningful, not stale, stagnant repetitions of the same words without focus or intent. We must be thankful in our prayers. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We should be purposeful in our prayers. Notice Paul asks that they pray specifically, that God will open a door for the gospel to be proclaimed. And God desires us to be specific in our praying, not just general prayers, that God will bless all the people in the world. I also believe this idea of staying alert and watchful in our prayers also indicates that we should be looking and ready for God's answer. We should pray expectantly that God's going to indeed answer us when we pray to him. But we also must watch for it because our prayers may not be answered in the way that we expect. Think about it like a batter in a baseball game. As the batter stands at home plate, he raises the bat, and he's hoping for a pitch that he's, that's easy to hit. I mean, he may be hoping specifically for a curveball, but he has to be ready and alert because he may not be getting a curveball. He may be getting a fastball. Now, the batter can be confident that the pitch is going to be thrown at him, but he has no idea what way it's going to be thrown to him. And in the same way, we can be confident that God indeed is going to answer our prayer, but we don't know how. So we have to pray for eyes to see what God is doing. We shouldn't place our assumptions on God. From God's perspective, there are an infinite number of ways to answer your prayer. You and I, we may only see one or two ways, but God, he sees all the ways. He sees ways we may never have even thought of. So the question is, do we trust him? Do we trust God to work out this situation in our lives in whatever way he sees fit? Or are we only looking for the option that we choose, the one, and two, the one or two ways that we see? Or are we giving God room in our lives to do anything? So again, Paul's request in verse 3 is that God will open a door for them to speak about Christ. And notice he says that God, that God may open the door. Now, Paul has made it clear that his passion is sharing the gospel and teaching God's word, but he still places his desires under the authority and will of God. It also says that Paul is in chains for the sake of the gospel. Remember, Paul is writing this letter while under house arrest in Rome. Now, I find it interesting that at this point, he's not asking for prayer to be released. That's what I would be asking for if I was in his position. But maybe Paul realizes that release is not really the best answer at this time. He's staying alert. And I think it's especially important to be watchful and alert during a season of difficulty, because that's the time that we can be the most vulnerable to the devil's accusations that God isn't answering our prayers because he really doesn't care, or he doesn't listen. He's not listening to us because he doesn't love us. But Paul realizes that there are an infinite number of possibilities in which God may choose to work in his situation. His mind is set on things above, as verse 3, 1 told us. And actually, Paul's imprisonment has allowed him to spread the gospel in areas that he might not have otherwise. 
Philippians 1, 12-14, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they dare to speak even more boldly. So see, rather than seeing his imprisonment as an obstruction, he saw it as an opportunity. Now, verse 5 tells us to act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. We always need to be aware as Christians of opportunities to witness to those outside of the faith. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 say, Be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence. Living a complete life in Christ involves our private life, our prayers, and our public life, our witness. And this word wisely, the root word is also was also used back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 28, and in verse 316. And it refers to a particular wisdom, that wisdom that comes from God. So God should not only guide our prayers, but he should also guide our interactions with others. And so are we making the most of our time on here on planet Earth, as verse 5 tells us to do? Are we choosing to be kind, humble, compassionate, gentle, and patient, as verse 312 tells us? We can make the most of the time through our actions and our words. Now, verse 6 says that let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Our words and actions should be palatable to those around us so that they may be drawn closer to Christ. Our speech should be gracious or full of grace, as other translations say. Now, as you know, grace from a spiritual perspective means God's favor upon those who don't deserve it. So if our speech is gracious, then it should be favorable to others, whether they deserve it or not. Now, I realize this is not easy, is it? I'm sure there are maybe those in our circles of life to whom we'd rather not speak at all, much less speak favorably of. But when we truly grasp the depth of God's unmerited favor toward us, then we will be better able to offer that same grace to others. Verse 6 says our conversation should be seasoned with salt. As you know, salt was often used as a preservative as well as a seasoning. So our conversations should preserve the integrity and feelings of others, not be harsh or tactless, but wholesome. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Now, we cannot have conversations full of grace without hearts full of grace. Proverbs 16.23 says, the heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. Now, Leviticus 2.13 says that salt was also to be added to sacrifices. Hebrews 13.15 tells us our words of praise are also sacrifices to God. So, do you think our conversations would change if we began to view them as sacrifices to God? Because unsaved people or outsiders, according to the text, are watching us Christians. And as you know, they are very critical of us. I recently read the story of Dr. Will H. Houghton, who served as a president of Moody Bible Institute back in the 30s and 40s. And a man from his city hired a private investigator to follow Dr. Houghton around and to report on his conduct. 
Now, after a few weeks, the private investigator went back to the man and reported to him that Houghton, Dr. Houghton's conduct was exactly in line with his preaching, and as a result, the man became a Christian. So, in verse 7 and 8, Paul tells us, the Colossians, that he is sending Tychicus to let them know how they're doing and to encourage them. Again, there is no mention of asking for help for prayer for release. You see, Paul realizes that sometimes God allows difficulties, and rather than removing the difficulty, he gives us what we need to go through it. Notice all the godly men surrounding Paul at this time. Verse 7 through 18 mentions Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Paul was in prison, yet God surrounded him with people who would encourage and comfort him, and people who would make sacrifices in order to get the letters that he's writing out to the world. Paul was able to write Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon all from prison. You see, Paul was a link in a very intricate chain that God had established. And Paul took the time at the close of this letter to address each individual by name, because they too had an impact on his ministry. We often skip over the portions of scripture that include the names, don't we? But I think it's a beautiful thing that Paul includes them here, because although they may not have had the notoriety of Paul, they were still vital in enabling the gospel message to move forward. So just as I've mentioned before, never underestimate your contributions to God's kingdom. He has you where you are for a reason, and you are the very person that God wants in your position of life. No one else can do what you do the way that you do it. You are valued and you are needed. So we too must also follow the instructions given to Archippus in verse 17. Pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. So as we close out our time in Colossians, our challenge for the week is this. Are we paying attention to our ministry? Now, we may not be church employees or missionaries, but we are still called to minister to those in our sphere of influence. If we are followers of Christ, then we have a ministry. I pray that God will, God will allow us to take our ministry seriously and that our words and conduct will draw others closer to Christ. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you.